It's, it's so good. Uh, really, there isn't any other better place to be in the house of God. Right, right now, uh, just in our church, as you know, we're one church in many locations. As we speak, there are seven, seven services going on right now, just out of our, our church, our congregation. So all through Sydney, and that's, that's growing and continuing to grow. Uh, and it's awesome to know, as Sydney gets bigger, by the way, which you all know by the traffic, uh, we've, been, we've, we've driven all over Sydney a lot in the last 10 days, and I, I can't believe how much traffic there is in the city, but even more of a reason to start more congregations and more services so people can get to them easier, and more, more importantly, so we can reach more people for Christ, which is great. Uh, and uh, Sydney, Sydney is a great season, our favorite city in the world. We're born and raised here. I've of, but we've lived overseas, but there's nothing like Sydney. And uh, thank God, I mean, uh, I know Rosh talked about the uh, Pathfinders event coming up with Mike Baird. We have a great premiere. Sydney is definitely on the rise in terms of its, uh, of its political and corporate strength, which is awesome. Uh, but, but I believe there's other reasons for that. I believe the blessing of God is on this city and the timing of God is on this city. And it's time for our, our churches to really see a great harvest of lives and blessing and hope in this great place. And of all places, Roselle or this city area, this city and inner city area, which is expanding and crazy. And I know some of you are struggling trying to buy real estate and all the rest of it. But hang in there. Uh, there is a plan and a, and a place for you guys. And uh, I know there's plans afoot for the expansion of this area. But uh, we look forward to a great and great influence in this, in this area. I know you've, we've started here a Friday night, uh, a Friday night service once a month for anticipation of a weekly thing later uh, in early next year. That's exciting news, isn't it? So uh, well done, Roselle. You're expanding. So we may come out for that at some point, which is great. And uh, awesome to see uh, the crew. Danny Karotz here, the legend. Come on, give it up for Danny Karotz. He, he uh, and Kaylee have just been part of the uh, vision of Sydney for many, many years. And uh, he's a, one of the key staff members and team members in our music team. It's just great working with all the crew here at Roselle. And great worship this morning. Great worship. Andrew leading wherever you are. Uh, where are you? Oh, right there. <laughs> awesome, buddy. Come on, give it up for the worship team. Andrew and Mel, great couple. Oh, I just like just hanging and chatting. And how you doing, Ron? You looking good, mate? You look thin and fit and fighting fit. Yeah, new baby. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Looks just like you, you know. That's a bit. That's a bit of a worry there as well. But anyway, let's. Moving right along. Hey, it's all good news this morning. It's all good news. Because I'm preaching, I'm preaching to you about persecution. <laughs> we are, as you know, uh, this is the last week in an incredible series that we've been doing on the Beatitudes, or as we've coined it, the beautiful attitudes. Who knows that life is all about your attitude? And, and, and uh, you know, at the risk of sounding corny, which I'm about to be... Uh, it's not your, it is not your aptitude, but it is your attitude that determines, sorry, it determines your altitude. I even forgot the corn right there. Yeah, it is your attitude, not your aptitude. It determines your altitude. And look, you will rise and fall according to your attitude. And look, those, these beautiful attitudes here in Matthew 5, and I was sharing with the Oxford Falls congregation a couple of weeks ago that when I was a young believer, I read them. I thought, oh, well, this is like a personality profile. It's an option. 
It's like, which, which one am I? Am I, you know, am I the merciful? No, definitely not that. Uh, am I this one? And like, oh, you know, which of those eight am I? You know, like it's like you know, there are eight personalities. But no, this is actually a description of the New Testament believer. This is actually, it is, it is the descriptor of a new culture, a new kingdom. This list of attitudes is a game changer. This list is going, okay, as we are now carriers of a new spirit and carriers of a new kingdom called, called, called the, the body of Christ, this is what we are. This is a description, by the way, of all of us uh, corporately which is, and individually, which is awesome. And I'm going to read uh, the one we're going to do today, which is right down there in verse 10, which is blessed. Everybody say blessed. blessed. Are those who are persecuted. Now, I'm, you know, this next phrase is key because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven wow that's a pretty powerful promise i'm going to keep reading because it unpacked of all the beatitudes this is the only one that is unpackaged by jesus a little further it says blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so it's, it's amazing that it's the, some key parts in here just to unpackage this at the beginning. It's interesting that it says, blessed are you persecuted, key phrase, because of righteousness. You know, if, if we're going to be persecuted, it's important that we understand that persecution needs to come for the right reasons. Uh, I, I know people who are persecuted but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, and, and, and if you're going to be persecuted, be persecuted for righteousness, not because you're a numbskull, uh, not because you're, you're a religious nut. You know. And I remember talking to this guy a few years ago in church, and he said, Mark, Mark, Mark why, why am I being persecuted at work? I said, I'm not sure. Look, talk to me. What's going on? And, and I, after the few minutes into the conversation, I found out that he was late for work, that he... he uh, didn't work that hard, wasn't focusing on his job, wasn't honoring his boss, but then he was preaching the gospel to them. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 wrong thing. You need, you need to be the first there at work. You need me to, to be the most reliable. And you need to, to, by your lifestyle, declare righteousness. By your lifestyle, set a standard. That, and if you get persecuted after that, then, then rejoice. But in the meantime, don't rejoice, change. <laughs> Uh, and it's so, uh, and then you know, of course, it, you know, verse eleven, who falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Make sure that the key word falsely. Make sure that it is not true. Make sure if there's all evil against you that it's that that it's lies because of the way we live. You know, persecution has it can vary in its intensity, can vary in its form depending on the season and context we live in. Uh, you know, for most of us that we live in the West, the sort of persecution others are experiencing over the world, we don't experience. Who's, who's glad about that? We don't experience much of that persecution. In fact, uh, the Apostle Peter says, uh, don't be surprised when people persecute you because of your faith. Persecution is not something that is alien to the Christian life. We should not be surprised when it comes. In fact, most theologians would, would agree that if you're not being persecuted, you should be more surprised. And in fact, if we're not being persecuted, we need to even question our impact. We need to question whether we're living a true New Testament lifestyle. Uh, not that we look for it, not that we want it, but it will come as, as we live that sort of life. And here's the deal. Since the fall of man, 
Since right at the beginning of Genesis, Satan has been attacking God through his people ever since. Christians, therefore, we are strangers and pilgrims and aliens in a world where God is not God. Satan is the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, uh, uh, you know, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of Christ. Satan, another scripture says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He actually has current dominion of the world. And we are aliens and strangers in this and foreigners. And so as we begin to live light and shed light and live a righteous life, we are the aliens. And the, the God of this age will attack those people who attempt to bring light and hope and justice to this world. Uh, and so that, that's, therefore, we go, okay, I get it. And we are the strange ones in a, in a, in a positive way. So, the, so Satan is attacking anything that brings life and hope, Satan will attack. And, uh, and so there's, there's global persecution happening all over the world. So that if we ask this question, who are the most persecuted people in the world? It is Christians. 80% of persecution is towards Christians specifically, not other religions. That's a very powerful truth to understand that there's something about the Christian message, something about the gospel message that specifically receives persecution beyond anything else. How's this? Just a few stats for you. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity in the United States estimates that 100,000 Christians die every year targeted because of their faith. That is 11 Christians every hour. Since we started this service, 15 people have died because of their faith around the world. Just to give it some sort of context, uh, there is no threat of that here, hopefully, in Roselle uh, this morning. But, but it's, it's good to know that, isn't it? That, that, that we live in a, in a uh, for, for the most part, a safe Christian political world. But there are people dying for their faith all over the world. Uh, the, the Pew Research Center says that the hostility to religion reached a high in 2012 when Christians faced some, of the, some form of discrimination in 139 countries. That's almost three quarters of the world's population were receiving some form of Christian, uh, Christian persecution. But here's the deal. All, irrespective of that, all persecution has the same aim. Psalm 143 verse 3 says this, The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. The aim of persecution, even whether it's, whether it's Christian political persecution overseas or whether it's spiritual persecution locally, the aim is the, for the enemy to crush your faith, to crush your spirit, and, to re, and rid the world of anything that reflects the very nature and glory of God. Anything, because here we are, we are bearing God's image. We are the bearers of the image of God on the earth. How amazing is that? Come on, give the Lord a hand for that. That's, that's the deal. And so anything that is audacious enough, yet humble enough, to bear that image is going to be persecuted by, by, by the enemy. Uh, so persecution can be overcome and survived if our roots in Christ go deep enough. For example, Matthew 13, verse 21 says this, But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So, so, so here's the deal. It's it isn't that we welcome persecution to make us strong. No, our survival in persecution determines whether our root system is actually strong enough. 
So the, the key here is this. And later in another scripture, um, in Matthew 10.23, so I'm going to give you a lot of word this morning. Is that all right? Matthew 10.23 says this. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So here we get some advice from Jesus. Who knows that Jesus gives really good advice? Here's the deal. What he is saying here is that when persecution comes, don't fight it. This isn't about engaging in a battle. This isn't about standing up for our rights. This isn't about going, hey, listen, there's pers-. he says when persecution comes, A, expect it, but then leave that. Go, well, that's obviously not, there's no openness here. Let's go to a place where there is openness. Let's go to a place where the people are open and willing and the gospel can be preached. He said, don't worry, there's plenty of places and plenty of towns and plenty of cities and plenty of people to reach. It isn't about, when I see Christians wanting to stand up for their rights as believers, it's actually not the New Testament message. Uh, uh, we need to stand up for Christ, not for our rights. Those, those differences can be subtle because I think we need to stand up for the rights of others. Our job as the kingdom of God is to stand up for the rights of the poor and the oppressed and the voiceless, but not necessarily for the rights of, of, our, of our own Christianity, which is a, a, a different sort of thing. So, so persecution is not a call to enter a battle. It's a call to stay secure. It's a, it's a, it's a, a call to get your root system in Christ deeper so that when persecution comes, you won't fall, fall, or, uh, fall away from, from God himself. Okay, here's some other good news. If Jesus said in John 15, 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so, so Jesus is basically going, you know, if they persecuted me, the calling that was on me is going to be on you as well. And so if they, and basically he's saying, it's another scripture that says, if they hated me, they will hate you. And the reason the world hates us is that we represent something. We represent, we are not of this world. Uh, 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 I love the scripture, and whether you've got it there, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 11, it says this, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. It's interesting that, that basically what, what Paul is saying here in this scripture is that as, as we are persecuted and understand the persecution, we don't react in like back to that, but we react in the opposite spirit. And we, we react in a spirit that is the spirit of Christ and in, and in opposition to that thing that is trying to uh, overcome us. God's good, isn't he? Uh, who's, who's ready for a good old bit of persecution? <laughs> None of us, of course. That's not what it's about. And so we are persecuted because we are inherently different and threaten people's security to their status quo. And John, here's, here's a few lines from John Piper, a, a great New Testament theologian who is alive today. And he said, A life devoted to righteousness will be persecuted. If you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free sex. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict against excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with God, you will expose the evil of pride. And he begins to make this list is that we, we stand for a message 
We stand for a, a, a set of values that is completely different to the world set of values. Not that there's anything wrong necessarily with those things in measure, but in excess they create an opposite spirit. And so, and he says this other thing, that there are only two responses to a righteous life. There's only two responses to a person who lives righteously, and that is persecution or conversion. And if, as we live righteously, as we live in the things of God, as we live that light calling that God has called us to, uh, then there are only two responses to that, is the world will reject it and say, we can't cope with that. So we'll persecute what is threatening us. We will persecute what is different to us. We will persecute and try and get rid of that thing that is opposing our own value system. Or we'll convert because our eyes will be open to a gospel and to a light and to a hope and to a purpose, which are the only two responses. So, so that's awesome. That's good to know, isn't it? There's only two responses to your life. As you walk out of this service today, and a second, and a second service starts, and I, I talk about this all over the world, that this is one service. This is the gathered church, but there's a scattered church service. This, you know, this is, this is the, the church gathered where we stand together, where, we, where we're in unity. But out there on Monday morning, as you're out there amongst the workplace, at university, at work, at home, doing the thing, there's another church service, and you, it's the scattered church. And it's out there that the, the message is as vital as the message from this pulpit. The message from your life is the most powerful preaching that, that could exist. And, and, and many people have been uh, attributed to this particular quote. And I actually don't even know who originally said it. But, uh, but it was this, is that, you know, preach to everyone and where, and where necessary, use words. The, the greatest message is the message of our lives. The greatest message is the message of, of, of strength and hope and, and a righteous life, which is, uh, which is awesome. And we don't, we don't gain acceptance in God by our righteousness, but we send a message of the values of the kingdom that are out there. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it divides people. And it polarizes the world. And you'll be hated as exciting news today. And... Uh, <laughs> But here's the deal. As I was thinking about this, I realized, as I read into the scriptures, I realized there are actually two types of persecution. There's, there's persecution of religion, not as in, as, in, as in the persecuting of it, but from religion. Religious, religious mindset will persecute believers. Wow. And the other one is the world persecutes Christians. And it's interesting that Jesus uh, said this unusual scripture in uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 15. He said, beware. It's interesting in, uh, that Jesus would say, beware. Uh, and, and I figured if the Son of God comes to the earth, and I believe there's only twice in the whole of the New Testament that Jesus said, beware. Uh, I figured if the Son of God said that, we probably should be aware of what he's saying we'd be aware of. He said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of the yeast of Herod. And, and there are two yeasts, two things, two aspects. And it's the, it's the yeast of religion and the yeast of the world. I believe that they are two they are two faces of the devil. The devil has two different faces. He has a face of religion and he has a face of worldliness. And it's interesting that persecution comes from those two different angles. And Jesus experienced it. The New Testament believers experienced it. 
Jesus was persecuted by the very people that he was attempting to use to, to actually cause the gospel to grow. So the religious people of his day came and they attempted to kill him. The Pharisees, once they heard the message of Jesus, because it threatened their, their religious control, once they heard that message, they plotted to kill Jesus and they, they chased him all through Galilee to attempt to kill him and eventually succeeded not knowing that actually his death was actually the liberation of the world. But that's a separate message. So that religion attempts to persecute us because it persecutes, watch this, your message of freedom. It threatens their worldview of control. The Jews persecuted Jesus Islam is persecuting Christians right now, and, and it is a threat of freedom. And, and, and so your message of freedom, because in Christ you're free. And, and it's not in religion you're free. Religion will not free you. In fact, religion will bind you. The word religion actually means to bind. But Jesus came, guess what? To set us free. So religion is threatened by the true message, which is the message of Christ. And in that message of Christ, there is freedom. So there's going to be religious persecution coming from this angle. Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware a little bit of religion in you will kill you. Religion is not the answer. Christ is the answer. And as we stay in Christ, we stay free. We stay free of sin. We stay free of our own human uh, desires and, and, and things that are driving us. The, the key to our lives, the key to our futures, the key to our freedom is Christ. And so here we see religion trying to work against uh, us and, and persecute us. On the other side, the world persecutes. So if, perse if uh, religion persecutes your message of freedom, what does the world persecute? It persecutes your message of faith. It persecutes, it threatens their worldview of self, of intellect, of pride. It, it, it is, the world is threatened by, by the seeming almost foolish message of the cross. The world is threatened by that. It can't handle this. You mean my intellect, my own wisdom, my own works, my own human value as a person is not good enough? And like That can't be the case because I'm a good person. And so the world persecutes that message and goes, no, you, 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 you Christians are, are, are uneducated numbskulls. But that's not true. We have Christ and we can resist that persecution because we know that in Christ, He is our righteousness and He is our faith. So resist the persecution against our freedom and resist the persecution against our faith and in that place stay in Christ. You know, it's interesting that it says, you know, beware of the use of the Pharisees, but also of Herod. And it was Herod himself who persecuted John the Baptist. Uh, Herod was illegally and unethically and immorally married his brother's wife, Herodias. And Herodias and John the Baptist preached against that. He was preaching a gospel of, of righteousness, a gospel of, of, of freedom, and he, and he you know, exposed their sin. And as a result, in a party one, one night, uh, Herod was there, Herodias was there, and Herodias' daughter was there. And, 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 and Herod was so impressed by Herodias's daughter's dance and dance for me, dance for me, and I'll give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. Did not knowing that when she danced for him and then asked for what she asked for, she asked for Herod's for John the Baptist's head on a plate. Uh, and, and so here, once again, a classic example that, that the message of Jesus, the message of the New Testament was threatened, uh, threatened the value system of the world. 
and it actually took the life of John the Baptist as a result. That's an extreme example, but it's an incredible example of how persecution tries to come against our faith and try to come against our thing. But the answer is simple. Who wants, who wants to hear the answer today, anyone? I want you to turn quickly to one more passage of Scripture, uh, to Romans chapter 8. I love, some of the students are here, they know I love the book of Romans. I, sp- I, pre- I teach on Romans for eight weeks in uh, second year, just a quick ad for uh, C3 College. Uh, come along there and, and uh, what do you think, guys? And col- college any good? Yeah, all good. Uh, all right, Romans, Romans, and I'm not going to go through the whole of, of Romans 8, although I could, because uh, it would be so exciting. And in fact, the whole of the book of Romans is just awesome. Uh, Romans, if Romans is the centerpiece of New Testament theology, then Romans 8 is the centerpiece of Romans. Right? It, is, it, is the, it is the apex. It is the pinnacle. It is the crescendo. It, it, is, it is the place we all want to get to. And you can see I'm very excited by this. Because here's the deal. As believers, we need to know the Word. As believers, we need to know our faith. We need to know how exciting it is and how much power there is for us who are in Christ, which is awesome. So therefore, when persecution comes, and by the way, it will come in some shape or form, your foundations are firm in Jesus and you know exactly what you stand. Okay, so if religion persecutes your freedom, the answer is Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the, the enemy of your freedom is a spirit of condemnation. The enemy of your freedom is a spirit, a religious spirit that wants to condemn you based on your own works. Based on this one fact that says you have to earn your salvation. You will never be good enough to earn your salvation. So the answer to persecution is a revelation of salvation by faith. That's Because if you try then to combat that and say, no, I am worthy, you're you're fighting the wrong battle. The point is you're not worthy. Only in Christ are you worthy. And therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You don't need to live in a spirit of guilt. You don't need to live in a spirit of condemnation. You need to live in a spirit of freedom, knowing that Jesus has washed your sin away and that you live in that reality every day of your life for the rest of your days and into eternity. How awesome is that? I love that. I'm excited by that message. But then at the end of Romans, at the end of Romans is the answer to the worldly persecution. If, 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 con, if the spirit of condemnation is trying to overcome you, you go, no, for those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. At the end of Romans in verse 31, it gives us the answer for the, for the enemy who's trying to, trying to undermine our faith, trying to say to us that, that things will not be okay. In verse 31 of Romans 8, it says this. It says, I can find it. There it is. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus died more than that, who was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. So it's so exciting. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! Everybody say no. <laughs> I love that. Paul has this great skill in his writings of asking himself questions and then answering them. <laughs> it's a great method of, of writing. No. And, and it's like you can almost hear the scream. No! Come on, give me one more time. Give me a no. No! Say this. Never! <laughs> no, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Watch this, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That spirit of persecution which is going, you're relying on what? Your faith is what? You're, that is idiotic. No, we're going, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. No persecution, no spirit that's trying to crush you, nothing that's trying to convince you contrary to your faith or your belief. None of that. You are you're the Spirit of God. You are more than conquerors in these things. In fact, your faith grows stronger and rises up. Uh, and you might say, well, where's, you know, you haven't preached anything about the second part of the Scripture, which is uh, blessed uh, are those that are persecuted. Like the bless, Where's the blessing? Well, the blessing... You might say, well, it's great to be able to overcome that. Well, the blessing is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says this. Uh, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Even in the midst of persecution, that persecution is creating and anticipating a glory. We're going to inherit the kingdom of God. And, 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 and you know, it's interesting. Troubles, when you're in them, always seem heavy and permanent. But what, 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 the, what the Scriptures attempt to give us this morning is perspective. Understanding that even in the worst persecution, you know, watching these, these saints in, in the issues that are happening with ISIS right now, in Syria, and the things that are happening in Iraq, even at the threat of death, even in those situations, their faith is rising and faith is growing. And we're not, we're not experiencing that physical, political, or religious persecution. But, but the same spirit is existing in the West, where, where the spirit of that tries to wrap itself around you so that you don't live the light of God. But I'm telling you, even in your light and momentary afflictions, I'm telling you, God is achieving for you a glory of God that far outweighs them all. Because, if we go back, we haven't got time, to the middle of Romans 8, it says, you are the glory of God on the earth. In fact, it says the whole earth is groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. It's waiting for your life to live the full measure of God's glory in the earth. They, those universities that are surrounding here, those, the marketplace that's surrounding here, is waiting for your, for your light to be shining even in the midst of persecution that's coming against you. And the spirit of persecution wants you to be quiet when you need to raise your voice. You know, I used to be, before the ministry, many, many, many decades ago, I was a social worker and I worked in the area of child protection and, 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 and that was tough enough as it was, dealing with some of these very difficult cases. But, um, but even worse than that was the, was the spirit and the value system of that world that I worked in. And I remember, a lot, I remember particularly sitting 
in this particular case conference, there was myself, some other social workers, some psychologists, some doctors, some very bright minds, some of the brightest minds in the country sitting. And I remember this one particular day, we were, uh, we were, were sitting and, and, and discussing a case. Sometimes I felt really bad about some of these cases that we were discussing because we we're talking about people's lives. Now, I understand we we're talking about people's lives in order to gain some perspective and help them and so on. But I remember once talking, and this particular uh, mother, who's a single mother, had already had four children, and, and she wasn't, it wasn't in good shape, that she was not a good mom, and she was really struggling with these particular uh, kids, and, and we were attempting to help her, but they, the, the professionals had just found out that she'd fallen pregnant again. And so now we're discussing, uh, the, or not, we couldn't do it, but almost the forced abortion, forced termination for life. And we're going around the room uh, and, and getting the opinion of all the professionals. And I could tell my time was coming in this conference, case conference. And as they were, they were going, she should terminate, she should terminate, she should terminate. And I'm the only Christian in this whole room. And I'm freaking out. You know, I'm 22 years of age, a brand new university graduate, and amongst these elite brains, and the whole spirit and atmosphere of that room was one of, one of control and one of... Because that, that's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist kills people. That's what it does. That's the aim of it. And, and I remember this little voice, and I, and I wasn't bold. I, wasn't, I didn't stand up on the, on the table and go... You unrighteous men and women. <laughs> I just sat there as a very, I was intimidated, but I remember saying very quietly, I don't agree. I don't agree. I felt like the hate and the, and the aggression of, of, of the other people in that team against me was just, and, and, and I wasn't condemning them. I just felt like I had to at least have an opinion that represented the values of Christ. And, and God put me there for a reason. He didn't put me there for no reason. He put me there for a reason. Do you know, out of that team, two of the key members of that team, both atheists, both, one of them a Marxist, both end up coming to Christ and coming to church. And one of, both of them are pastors. Both of them are pastors right now. And I don't know whether that day had anything to do with it, in terms of like, oh, wow, there's someone who's slightly different. There's someone with a different value system. And so we represent Christ himself can't come into the world anymore. He's already come and done all the work. He has sent us, 2 Corinthians 5, He has sent us as ambassadors of Christ to bring hope, to bring a message of life. In, into it, whatever world you're in. God has called you. God has not called you to the world. He's called you to your world. Whatever world you're in, God has called you to that. And you're anointed with a message of life and freedom, irrespective of persecution. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand right now? All right. I'm done. God is good. Why don't we just, can we just close our eyes? We finish right now before I hand it back to Ward. And look, many of you I know this morning and have met previously. Others I don't. Maybe you're here visiting. Um, maybe you've been coming a little while and just checking this church thing out, checking this Christian thing out. Maybe I'm coming for a long time. But today, just sitting here, you've realized, and I want to give you the opportunity and to ask you this question. Do you know Christ? Do you have a personal, genuine, 
authentic relationship with Christ Himself? Is He real? Do you know that you have been given that grace? Do you know that your own sins have been washed away, not based on your merit, not based on what you are, but what Christ is and what He's done for your life? If you were to die today, would you enter into the presence of God without question, not based on your own lifestyle, but based on what Christ has done for you? If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're here today and you once knew Christ and you're sitting here going, oh, you know what? I need to turn my heart back around to God. I need to come back to God. Maybe you have... Maybe you've been living off your parents' faith or or previous generations' faith. Maybe today you want to come to Christ for yourself. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know whether I have that for real. God can, can give you total assurance that you have received and have faith in God yourself. Just with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you want to come back to Jesus, or you, want to, or you want your own faith in Him, just slip your hand up right now and say, Mark, that's me. Pray for me, that I would have Christ, that I would, I would know Jesus, that I would have, in my, have Him in my life, and to have that real faith for myself. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I'm just going to wait a moment. Maybe some of you are thinking that through. Maybe you're pondering that. Listen, if you are questioning that, or even starting to process that, that probably relates to you. Don't be afraid. You're amongst friends. You're amongst people that love you and care for you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, just slip your hand up and we're going to pray. and Ask God to touch your life in a brand new way. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Can we stand to our feet right now as I hand back to, uh, to Pastor Ward? And uh, can we just stand to our feet? That would be awesome. And uh, why don't we just, before we finish, just as we're in the presence of God, why don't we just lift our hands right now? Just ask God. I'm just going to ask God to bless you. I'm going to ask you to bless you. Blessed are the persecuted, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not praying any persecution on you. I'm not praying anything on you this week that you you don't need or don't want to receive. But all I am praying on you is the blessedness. I'm praying on you a blessed life. That, 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 and a revelation that I tell you, you, you carry and, and, and re are the imparters of a life and a grace and a value and a righteousness that no one else can do. Revival can break out in this area. Revival can break out in your world as we live for Christ. Father in heaven, I thank you for this amazing congregation. Thank you for Ward and Nick. Thank you for the leadership team. Thank you for the members of this house, Father. As we together, as one house across this city, God, let us this week live for Jesus with all of our hearts, Father. Not with strain and personal effort, but in the grace of God. And as opportunities come, let us, Lord, live and breathe the life of God into our lives and into our community and into the relationships that are around us. Father, I thank you that our workplaces will be a places in which we make a difference, Father, in spite of any opposition that may come against us, Father. I thank you for the power of God on the universities, on the schools, on the retail outlets, on the workplaces represented in this house, Father. And today we give you all the praise, Jesus. We give you all the glory for freeing us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Fantastic. Yeah.